listening to Down by the Bank, a Jacksonville Jaguars podcast with Corey, Derek, and JK3. All right, welcome to Down by the Bank. This is Corey. Hey guys, what's up? It's Derek. What's up, y'all? It's JK3. All right, so today we are joined by a special guest, Mike DeRocco. Uh, he is, I think, uh, Derek said before we started recording, about uh, four times in as a guest on the podcast, maybe the the most of any guest that we've had. And uh, as I told him before we started, he sort of lends a little credibility to us, so we certainly appreciate that. He covers the Jaguars for ESPN's NFL Nation and uh, is one of my favorite followers on Twitter, especially this time of year at camp. So, hey, Mike, uh, thanks again for joining the podcast. Yeah, no problem. But uh, one of one of your favorite, not the favorite, just one of. <laughs> oh, right, that's yeah. how it is. Because we have yeah. so many, Five we have so many guests. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I thought I thought your favorite follow was uh, Tony Khan and Yannick Ngakwe from a couple months ago, Corey. Yeah, that was pretty good for a while. I like that one for a while. That was entertaining. That was absolutely entertaining. <laughs> I like to say in sophisticated conversations that I don't like those type of aggressive interactions, but secretly I really enjoy that sort of stuff on Twitter, to be honest with you. Um, uh, nothing better than a good Twitter fight. Nothing, <laughs> nothing more amusing, no matter who it is, no matter who it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll cover the Jags, but just to kind of start out, um, you know, we just did an interview here uh, shortly ago. It actually just got uploaded with Aaron Schatz over at Football Outsiders, just kind of taking an analytics perspective on the 2020 season. And so kind of the reason we really wanted to have you on, aside from tradition at this point and and the value you bring, is uh, to kind of have the the on-the-field perspective uh, since you're actually down there. But one of the things I asked Aaron about that I thought was kind of interesting is with COVID-19, you know, what are sort of the biggest ways that your job covering the Jags has changed due to the virus or um, maybe your uh, your outlook on changes for the upcoming season? What's that kind of look like at this point? Well, I, the biggest thing is that what we're doing right now is essentially the way that we conduct interviews now. There's no in-person interviews at all. Um, that's just not going to happen for the entire year. So that's kind of tough. We're not getting into the locker room. That makes things even tougher. Um, because that's really kind of where you, um, you develop your relationship with the players and you develop your sources with the players and, and get to know those guys a little bit. So that makes it a little bit tough, especially these rookies. You know, we've, I think we've interviewed CJ Henderson maybe twice, um, you know, virtually. Um, so there's no chance to really kind of get up in next to him in his locker and just kind of chat for a little bit. So that's the biggest change. The other thing is, is that, um, you know, you guys have seen us at practice. I'm sure you guys have gone to some of those practices and, and, you know, you kind of cluster in a group, you know, and you kind of hang out and talk and watch practice and all that other stuff. And now we got to be like six feet away. We wear these contact tracers you know, if we get too close to somebody else with one of those things on it beeps, then we get yelled at. So, um, you know, that's, it's just, it's really totally completely a 180 from the way it used to be but it's understandable i'm not going to complain it is what it is and everybody deals with the same thing so they actually have the media members wearing the contact tracing devices too that's interesting well it's there's two it's this sounds like ridiculously elitist but there's like two classes of media there's like a (laughs) i knew it was not going to sound right (laughs) go ahead explain they have what they call a tier 2m which is essentially there's only like 10 spots of those available every day. And that group um, is different from the other media group, which is called three outdoor access. And essentially the only difference is if the Jags go in their indoor practice facility, 
those that are in tier 2M can go in the practice facility with them. So I'm in the tier 2M along with, you know, the nine other people. Um, but to be in the tier 2M, you have to go through the daily COVID testing protocols that the players go through. So, um, you know, so they practice six days in a row coming up. So I go every morning for the next day's practice to get tested. So I've got like seven, eight COVID tests under the belt by now. So, um, you know, that's the biggest, really the only difference is I could go inside the, the practice facility. We can't still can't do locker room, anything like that, but I get the COVID test every day. So, um, I know at least that I'm not infected. <laughs> that's a plus. It, yeah, yeah, and I don't good. have to pay for the test. And this is probably bad, but I mean, everybody knows the NFL players get the results. We get the results the same day. So, wow. Wow. you know, wow. no, no waiting five, six days, um, you know, or a week or more. Some of the stories have been, so it, it's, it's good to be in the upper class of media that cover the Jaguars. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's really funny, actually. I think if we somehow managed to get access to being out there, which would not happen, I don't even think we consider ourselves media, but I think the treatment we get is probably some measuring tape on the ground. I don't think we'd get all that other, uh, that other stuff. Um, I mean, but what, me personally, I would, I think I would subject myself to the, the normal COVID test, like the, the, the brain poke to, to yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's, oh. that's what we get. Oh wait, you get the brain poke every day? We, we get the the swab every day. Oh yeah. no, I couldn't do. It. Oh man, never mind. So, so is it just that they have the lab in there? Is that how it's so quick turnaround time? You, or what? um, I, I think they send it. They have a trailer out there that we go to, and there's like these little stations. Um, and there's a, a separate room. I don't know if they send it out or if they do the testing there. I didn't see any big equipment, but you walk in, you get your paper, you walk over, they swab your nose. I walk out crying. <laughs> Um, you know, every time she does it, my eyes water. And like, I've done it so many times, you get to know which of the, the people that are going to do it is going to be a little more rough than the other. So like, and they're like, okay, go to to um, station three. And I'm like, oh, station three, she's the worst. Um, so, and I'm sure the players feel the same thing, but I walk out and my eyes are always watering after that. Well, let me ask you, and hopefully this isn't uh, you know, too much, and I'll get off this topic after this, but what happens in, in your situation with ESPN and, and covering the team if there is no season? So if they – granted, that's not realistic at this point because I think they'll probably at least be able to manage something like the baseball season. But let's say you know, a third of the way through they, they just cut it short. I mean, what happens with you at that point? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I really don't know the answer. Um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, they would keep us, I would assume that they would keep us around. Um, because I don't, I think we all understand that, that it doesn't seem like this is going to be a situation where there won't be football or sports for three or four more years. You know, if they get through October, November, and they have to, you know, pause or suspend the season for a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, there, there'll still be plenty of stuff for me to write um, and, uh, you know, talk about and stuff like that. So, I, I, I mean, if there's not an extended, I guess, break or whatever or extended absence of the NFL, I think, uh, you know, there'll be plenty of stuff for me to do. Um, so I think uh, at least I hope everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, that's kind of a, I don't mean to ask a depressing question. It's just sort of one of those things. I'm always kind of curious process wise. Uh, what that That's not like. a question my wife hasn't asked like four times already this, this summer. So, oh, hey, what yeah. happens if the league doesn't play? Well, we'll deal with that when we get to it. 
Yeah, I can't imagine. Um, well, I mean, to get back on a, a, a more fun conversation, which is Jaguars football, one thing I'll, I'll touch on really quick uh, before uh, Derek and John kind of have some more in-depth football questions about camp. Um, we just have to throw it out there because our luck lately, like we mentioned in the last episode, is that with Ngakwe rumors floating around on Twitter right now, you know, the news of him being traded might drop in the middle of this conversation. Uh, so, you know, is there any sort of, uh, uh, you know, perspective that you have on that or and I'm not you know <laughs> expecting you to drop any news you wouldn't have already done on your own article or on your Twitter but is there anything that you're sort of thinking uh, with regards to those rumors right now um, what I'm hearing is um, nothing imminent um, at this point that um, now obviously that could change but um, my source tells me that the Jag stance on a trade for Ngakwe has not changed that much uh, in terms of they're just not going to let him go for a song. They're going to want to get good value. Um, it, it might not, you know, before they wanted the first round pick, at least one first round pick. That may not be um, realistic now, but this is not just going to be, hey, we'll trade him for, you know, a defensive tackle and a third round pick here. Um, but there was nothing imminent. And they're still, they're sort of in the same situation they were before where they're listening to teams, talking to teams, but no firm offer yet. You know, that, that, that bothers me so much, Mike, because although that little, you know, we joked about that little Twitter fight that him and, and Tony Khan had, but I was actually more mad at Tony Khan for showing our hand than anything on that because that really just that, – that annoyed the crap out of me. You can't show your hand like that. Uh, it's poker. You know, everybody's out there playing poker and chess, and he's playing checkers. So, But um, in looking at the secondary, obviously we drafted C.J. Henderson to, to replace Ramsey – and we're just so used to having those super confident guys in the locker room, and now they're gone. Um, what are you hearing about the, the, the feel of the secondary? You know, it's a little, gotten a little bit younger, um, but maybe a little bit more hungrier. Uh, what, what are you hearing? Yeah, um, you know, they like the experience with Harrison and Wilson uh, and, and Daniel Thomas, the kid they drafted, is going to play a lot. Um, but Henderson has looked really good. Uh, in camp, it's early. You know, we haven't had, uh, I think it was one day of full contact. But, you know, when you – sometimes you get distracted watching a play that you don't really watch one guy, you know. But Henderson, I've tried to take some snaps where I'm watching just Henderson, and he's right with the receivers. Even if it's if it's a play that's that's off, you know, to the other side of the field, I mean, he's still – follows his guy through the rest of the route and stays with him. So he, he's, there's not a lot of separation for some of those guys. Now, you know, he's had some trouble with Chark, but who, who won't, um, you know, he's had some issues at times with, uh, with Conley. Um, that, that's just normal stuff, but he looks good that they feel really, really confident that he's going to be able to, to step in and be an impact player immediately. Um, and the other side, you know, Trey Herndon's been pretty solid. The sort of, the one thing you can say about Trey starting last year, once he got thrown in there, is he was pretty consistent the whole rest of the year. He didn't have any bad games. He probably he didn't, you know, I wouldn't say he had any stellar games, but he wasn't a guy that was getting torched on a regular basis. So um, they're they're pretty confident in what they've got back there. And uh, you know, we all know that the biggest help to a secondary is is a pass rush. So that's where you know they they can make a little bit more hay. But you know. They, they like Henderson a lot. I mean, obviously, they wouldn't have taken him at nine, but he looks like every bit the part of, of what they were expecting to get. 
Hey, Mike, just to, uh, to, to stay on the defensive side of the ball really quick and just <clears throat> talk a little bit about that. You know, you mentioned that the defensive line and, and, you know, right now those guys, that's probably one of the, you know, the mass group of the uh, of the team right now. There's, you know, not, not a lot of depth there. Bringing in Timmy Jernigan, um, you know, how do you think, uh, you know, th- that defensive line can bounce back from, you know, losing Calais, uh, you know, potentially uh, losing, you know, uh, Ngakwe? You know, how do you think they're going to, you know, roll over into this season? Well, well, wait a minute. What time is it? Because it could, is there another defensive lineman that has retired or been traded <laughs> at this point? I mean, it was happening every five minutes, it seemed like. Um, you know, to me, we all know that Josh Allen's going to be a stud and is a stud. So you don't worry about that. Um, Avery Jones is a solid guy there, but he's not a spectacular playmaker. Um, There's a lot of young guys that are going to have to produce. Devon Hamilton, the rookie, is going to have to produce a ton. Um, I do like the Jernigan signing. I think it's not a signing that – I mean, he he was available for a reason. He's not the same level player that he was three or four years ago. But, I mean, he's a six-year veteran. He's a solid guy. He's a smart guy. Um, You know, he'll give them good reps. but to me, the guy that all of this sort of hinges on, that whole defensive line hinges on, is Taven Bryan has got to play like a first-round pick. Yeah. And, and he's got to be better than he was. He's got to be more consistent than he was. The Jaguars have really maintained that he's a plus-run defender, good against the run. Um, uh, okay, but like they still gave up 140 yards a game rushing last year, and, and there were plays where Taven was just not even in it. And well, I mean, he's got to be better they, than that. They gave up that, that amount of uh, yards, and then on top of that, Carolina – ran the same play the entire game last year against the Panthers. They ran it and they, they were bringing in the water boy. Hey, Veer right. They're not going to stop it. So guys that hadn't carried more than 12 times in a career saw all of a sudden rushing for like 280. Yeah. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was bad. I mean, that, that was the game. I think Darius got hurt on Marcel Darius. And that, and that's a, that's a, a big loss too, that we really don't talk about when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, he was really, really good. He wasn't healthy at all last year. And then the core muscle injury just basically took him out for the rest of the year. So, um, when you look at the guys that they lost and, and you look at Calais and Marcel Darius, they don't know if they're going to have Jan. And even if they do, I mean, I, I don't think he shores up the run game significantly, but the Al right. Woods and Rodney Gunter loss, I, I know that they're not world beating players. And I know that they weren't at the same level as Darius and Campbell, but, man, Al Woods was 334 pounds, and he was just a rock in the middle, and that was going to help the run defense significantly. And Gunter, you know, could play end, could play tackle. Uh, he had some versatility there. And, again, he wasn't an outstanding player, but he was a solid guy. And now you, you don't have solid guys. You've got these young guys and inexperienced guys and a, and a veteran that may be on the downside of his career in Jernigan, but at least still a guy that can get, you know, some snaps done. It's just going to be hard for them to figure out rotations and you know who effective and and with no preseason games you know we talked about oh there's you know these rookies aren't going to get the benefit of no preseason games everybody's talked about that but with no preseason games for these guys on the defensive front they're going to have to figure all that out on their own in practice and it may take three or four weeks during the season before we can even get an idea of what their best rotation is
Yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody else got to, you know, deal with that same situation also. You know, everyone's got the same issues with COVID uh, and, and you know, all other 32 teams have rookies that could possibly, you know, step in and play. Um, so, uh, but my, another question I had for you, you mentioned Avery Jones and I instantly th- thought of, you know, Dewan Smoot. How, how do these guys, I mean, they have been on the team the longest, in, in my opinion. And how do these guys just become... How do they be get, get a more you know um, the word I'm looking for? How, how do they get a more? How do they get more uh, burn at at that at that defensive line position? Like, you know, right now they're just kind of washed away and they just become guys. Uh, and I feel like they've been on the team the longest. So how do they become you know get more you know more reps you know on the defensive line? Well, I'll say this, and I probably should have mentioned Smoot um, a minute ago, and I didn't, but he has been one of the more impressive guys I've seen early on in camp. So, you know, last year, six, and he had no sacks his first two years, six and a half last year, which is a huge jump. Um, going back to his rookie year, I remember speaking with him. He he was watching some show with his wife or his fiance at the time. And it was something about the industry or whatever. I don't remember the name of the show, but he decided, well, I'm going vegan. This is gross. So he tries to be a vegan for a while and, and he couldn't keep his weight up. He wasn't able to be strong. Um, so he ditched that after his rookie year. And it took him a while to kind of get back. But last year we saw what he could be. And he's been pretty impressive um, in the one-on-one drills and in the, the limited number of contact reps that I've seen. So I think, you know, I thought Dwan Smoot was a, 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 a veteran roster bubble guy. Um, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I think he's going to make this team and he's going to be a key player there. So um, as far as Avery goes, um, you know, he's been, he's the longest tenured Jaguar. He's been here in 2013 uh, with Todd Wash. He came in with Wash and Bradley, believe it or not. Um, So yeah, I mean, and, and and the leadership role is on him too. But I mean, I just think we, we've seen what Avery Jones is and Avery Jones is a really, really good, uh, solid rotational player. Um, And if you're going to count on him to kind of be your number one defensive tackle, nose tackle there, um, I think, you know, you, you better have some, you better have something behind him too, because I don't think you can count on him to play 60, 70% of the snaps. So um, this is where the guy like Devon Hamilton becomes so important, but you know, Smoot is, is one of those guys that I would keep an eye on too, uh, you know, heading into the season because he's got a, this is a contract year for him too. And we all know when guys are in a contract year, there's a little bit extra motivation. Yeah. There's always a little bit of gas in the tank during that contract year. Um, switching sides on, on the offensive line. Man, we, we've got, what, four out of the five guys have been on the team now two years. You would think there'd be some consistency buildup, but there there hasn't been due to injuries. So uh, what do you, do you – are you seeing anything different? Are you hearing anything different from, from sources or, you know, coaches, coaches interviews around the, the consistency of the O-line? Um, yeah, Juwan Taylor has made some strides. Um the one thing that that was an issue with Cam Robinson going into his second year for, after his rookie year when he was solid was that there wasn't there wasn't any growth. Um, fundamentally, uh, especially, uh, he, he's not the greatest fundamentally with his feet, and you would want to see some improvement there. Well, the, one of the biggest issues Juwan Taylor had was 15 penalties last year, right. Um, right. and and he worked hard on his hand placement, uh, you know, to keep to avoid from getting holding calls. And he seems to have made some strides there. I've heard um, that the coaching staff is really, really pleased with him. 
you know, they think the move of Will Richardson over to left tackle is really going to push Cam Robinson. I, I, I don't know who's going to win that battle. I know that Cam Robinson has seemed to get the majority of the reps at the, with the ones there um, at this point in camp anyway. So that's you know, a good sign, I guess. It means that he's actually answered the challenge a little bit. Um, Linders look good. I mean, I, I think Linders, I've been really critical of this offensive line um, as, as everybody, everybody has. Has. Everybody has been. Yeah. yeah, right. It's, it's the biggest disconnect between the Jaguars and those who watch the team and cover the team is that we have a significantly worse opinion of that offensive line than they do. But, you know, Linder's probably not gotten enough credit, um, you know, for being a better than solid guy, um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's lost with them struggling the last two years, but he's been pretty solid and, and they like where he is still. I tell you what, the guy that, that I think they're really most excited about, to be honest with you, is Ben Barch, the kid from St. John's. That's um, what I was going to ask. That's what I was going <laughs> to ask. How's he been playing? Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. He, uh, he abs- now it was Jernigan's first practice, okay? First day, first practice. He hasn't really done much in the offseason. He shows up here in Florida. The heat was massive. You know, I know he's a Lake City kid, but you guys know if you're not in the heat and moving around in it, it's hard to get used to. They throw him in pads, and Barch just absolutely drove him into the ground on one of the reps and held his own. Uh, on the other one to a stalemate. So that was really good. And I had someone tell me that the thing that they're amazed about is he played at a division three university and is technically sound is just his fundamentals, especially his lower body, his feet are fantastic. Now he's, he's not the strongest guy yet. I mean, he's got to get bigger and stronger, but that's something you can work on. If the guy's got the fundamentals and the technique already down you just refine it, and then you get bigger and stronger. So they're really excited about that kid. Now, whether he ends up at tackle or guard, we'll have to see. But he's lean like a tackle. He doesn't look like a guard. Um, he's a little bit leaner, but they'll put some more weight on him. But, man, I think that they really hit on that kid. They're, they're really excited about that kid. Now, it might not be this year where we see him really kind of come into his own and take a job, but I would not be stunned if in 2021 he's a starter at either a tackle or guard. You know, we really got to, as, as fans, I look at the offensive line. I'm right there with you, with you guys, Mike. If you can't block, there's no, there's no point. Okay. It's just, just be real. And we also have a quarterback that he may be flirting with six, one on a good day. Okay. I don't care what they say. They can claim all day. He may be flirting. My point is he's a little bit shorter. Thus we, we got to block exceptionally well, and we need to get off the ball in the run game to get that to to get those defensive ends from firing off. So I, I hope they I hope they get it right this year. I really do. Yeah, you know they've had some limited uh, eleven on eleven reps, um, obviously. Uh, but I, 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 you know, I don't chart every rep because I'm I'm usually watching different guys. I try and watch different guys just to see how they're they're doing. I try and focus on one position or something like that. So other, cause otherwise if I'm watching just the play, I may, I may not, you know, there's some just things I just want to see on each play different. So, um, but it looked like they've been okay. Now, Josh Allen has been a problem no matter who uh, has had Josh Allen, they've gotten their rear ends whipped, um, which is good to see because that's what you expect out of Josh Allen. I mean, he's 10 and a half sacks as a rookie. He played only 60% of the snaps. 
you figure if he's going to play 70, 75% of the snaps this year, he's going to end up with 14, 15 sacks. So that's what you want to see. You want to see him look good. And he really changed his body, got leaner, and has been probably their best defensive player this far, thus far in camp. But other than that, you know, Minshew's had plenty of time back there. Um, now there's been some times where he's held it a little too long. Uh, there have been some times when he's been pressured out of there. But for the most part, he's had a pretty decent amount of time in there. Uh, so that's encouraging. And, uh, you know, I'll say this about Minshew. He's not the biggest and the tallest guy, but he's like Drew Brees in that he doesn't seem to have a problem seeing downfield. Um, there are some guys that are a little bit shorter, and, and they do have a problem seeing downfield. But he sees the lanes. I mean, think about this. How many times you remember Minshew getting a pass batted down at the line of scrimmage last year? Which is crazy. <laughs> crazy yeah. because it didn't happen. Yeah, and it used to happen did. to Blake all the time. And Blake is 6'5". And Blake, it happened once a game. So um, if they give him time, he'll be able to pick uh, pick defenses apart. I think he'll be fine back there. But you're right. I mean, the edges have to be better than they were last year. And I think, you know, going against Josh Allen every day in practice will make them better. But I do think that they're they're excited about what they've gotten. Jawan Taylor. They've seen the improvement they wanted to see there. And we'll see what happens at left tackle with, with um, Cam Robinson and, and Will Richardson. Well, Mike, I, I hate to do this to you, man, but I got to address the elephant in the room. Uh, you know, Josh Oliver getting hurt. Um, you, we've got ragtag, you know, group right now at um, at, at tight end with, uh, you know, Shaughnessy, um, Eifert. You know, it is what it is. I mean, is there a way or any time that you can see Colin Johnson lining up at, uh, at, at tight end since he's got such a huge frame. I mean, again, these are some of the things that you only see. We don't really see it from the media team. We only see the big plays that happen in some of the, you know, circus catches. But, I mean, he's got to be noticeably taller than most of the, the guys out there, right? Yeah, I mean, he stands out. The first, very first day, because there was no OTAs for us, so we didn't see him in pads. But the first day we were out there, first practice the media was allowed into, it was just helmets and stuff. <laughs> The two guys that stood out as receivers were Chenault because of how thick he is and Johnson because he was by far – he's almost a helmet taller than everybody else they got. Wow. Um, and wow. DJ Chark is not – you know, DJ Chark's, what, 6'4", and he's got a good two inches on DJ Chark. So, yeah, I don't know about the tight end thing, though, because, I mean, they're not going to use him there as a blocker. They may, have, they may have him line up there in a package here or there um, as a pass receiver. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what – don't discount the contribution that they may get from James O'Shaughnessy. He's back 100%. He doesn't look limited at all by that knee. Um, he had developed some sort of a, a pretty good relationship at the beginning of the year, some chemistry with Gardner Minshew before he got hurt. Um, but the guy that, that I would say might be a guy to keep an eye on at, in that tight end room too is Tyler Davis, the was sixth-round draft pick um, or sixth or seventh. It's been so long. Um, sixth round draft pick um he is a big kid a thick kid didn't do much at, uh, at georgia tech in terms of catching the ball but ron middleton was talking about him the other day and he said look you know he he's a pretty smart guy um you want to see him be physical you want to see him enjoy the contact you want to see him stick his nose in there and so far that that's exactly what they've seen from him and he just I don't know what it is, but he just sort of catches your eye a little bit um, in drills. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's a guy I would keep an eye on. But really, I mean, Eifert's got to stay healthy. Um, and, and, and I do think O'Shaughnessy will put up some solid numbers. 
But yeah, I mean, the Oliver thing, man, it's 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 almost Marquise Lee all over again. I mean, yeah. Um, now, eventually, Marquise Lee fought through that and, and became a productive player. But, man, some guys are just injury prone. And, and, and the, the thing that's, that's disturbing is it's a non-contact running, breaking a bone in your foot during a drill. Right. Not like in a play, not someone fell on it, but it was just non-contact he was running. So you're just like, oh, is he one of those bad luck injury guys? Um, and, and you hope that's not the case because when he's healthy and he's running around out there, man, he looks really, really good. Really, really good. Fluid, big hands, can catch the ball, moves well with it after he catches it. You just keep thinking, man, if we can get him on the field, he'll be a guy that can stretch the defense and the seam and make some big plays. I mean, that's the most frustrating thing is seeing, uh, again, we don't get to see a lot of the, the – we don't get to see any camp now. So all we can rely on is what they do on the you know on the media team, and they pull out these ridiculous catches and ridiculous plays, and it can only help you – I mean, you, can, you get so excited – and then you you know you get uh you know, the expectation is there and then you know with, with Oliver like you said the unfortunate injury it, it does happen um what what have you seen from the running back group you know with Ozigbo and uh, and Fournette or Fournette and Ozigbo do you think this would be a good one two punch yeah and and I wouldn't um just I mean Chris Thompson's going to play a major role there too um you know as a pass catcher there uh, but I mean Leonard's looked good and I'll say this I, Leonard's seemed to I mean, he's always showed up to camp in pretty good shape. You know, 2018 and everything that he went through there was obviously an outlier. I mean, he was in pretty good shape last year, um, pretty good shape as a rookie, showed up in camp in good shape in 18. Uh, and he looks in really good shape right now, too. Um, you know, and, and he seems explosive. Um, but, you know, and it's a big year for him. But Ozigbo is, has sort of flashed a little bit, absolutely. Uh, and Chris Thompson is, is, has caught the ball pretty well. And you know what you're getting out of him. You just got to hope he stays healthy. But I, you know, I don't think that there, that, that's a position that, um, you know, like you worry about tight ends, even with Eifert there, but I don't think I worry at all about what they're going to get out of the running backs there. There there's with those three guys and, and Armstead, whenever he comes off the COVID list, um, you know, they're going to be fine there. And then the addition of the fullback, who's a really good uh, Miller's a really good pass catcher out of the backfield. So that adds a little bit there too, but I, I don't really worry about that position. I would have um, had they dumped Leonard in the offseason and really not addressed it, but I think that they're they're going to be solid there. I don't worry about that spot. And, and you know what's funny, Mike, is even in Gruden's offense, man, that he when he was up in D.C., his running backs were very productive. So mm-hmm. I think that that's going to definitely uh, you know help us because he seems to be a smart coach when it comes to getting running backs in the right position and, and calling the right place to have them be productive. Um, with, with you know with with Minshew, that's what everybody's attention's on. You know, he kind of captured everybody's everybody's heart last year, and um, he definitely you know he, he brings it. He is who he is. I like him because he's fearless. Um, but is he doing the basics? You know, have you heard anything about him? You know, working out in the off season with obviously limited capacity, uh, but doing the little things to make sure he gets better and uh, you know takes his team to the next level. Yeah, I mean, he really he he showed up in really great shape. They were happy with what he did with his body. He got stronger, um, a, a bigger, sure uh, as well. Um, you know, he doesn't really have a cannon for an arm. He's got a good enough arm and a good arm, but it wouldn't be a cannon. But I think the the biggest thing uh, you wanted to see out of him was mental growth. If you're the Jags, and I was intrigued by what Chris Conley said the other day because Conley said, "Look, 
he's making or taking chances um, and putting balls in spots that I don't think he would have done last year. And they're good chances. You know, instead of just taking the, 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 the first read and the I can get the ball there or checking it down, I mean, he sees the opportunity to take a chance uh, and it's a smart, calculated risk and he takes it. And, and that's what you have to do to play quarterback. You, you can't be the safe throw guy all the time, but knowing when to take the chance and when not to is something that takes a little bit of time to get used to. And some guys, you know, Bortles sometimes, Bortles struggle with that. When to take the chance, when not to, um, and sometimes he took too many of them. But if if Conley is is right and Minshew has made that intuitive leap, then then you've got a guy that can get you some big plays uh, instead of just trying to dink and dunk down the field. Because a lot of people think, well, the West Coast offense that's a lot of dink and dunk stuff. Well, yeah, I mean you can. There are going to be a lot of crossing patterns, and and Dee Dee Westbrook and Chark and those guys are all going to feast on the middle of the field and some of those short crossing patterns, but there's downfield shots here too. And if he's smart enough to figure out when he needs to take it and when he can get the looks he wants and take a calculated risk here and there, then, then he will take that next step. Now, does that mean, you know, that he's going to throw 35 touchdown passes? I don't know, but I do know that, that they wanted to see mental growth out of him, and they've seen it. And, you know, we definitely have the, you know, not looking at it from, you know, on, paper, but I, I think, in my opinion, we have the, the tools to get downfield quickly um, and taking those shots uh, with with DD, with Shark, um, and e- even in the West Coast offense, tight ends play, play such a crucial role between the hashes, getting vertical quickly. Um, you know, those crossing shots, boom, 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 and then doing, you hit them with 20 yards. So, no, I'm, ex- I'm excited about the, the mental, uh, that mental part of the chess game with, with Minshew because I think he can really mess with some defenses, defenses' heads because they'll be like, man, that guy's killing us and there's nothing we can do about it. Hopefully that's the case. Yeah, the one thing you worry about if you're the Jags is, you know, you, you thought you fixed the run defense and you didn't. Well, you did, or at least you addressed it. And now with all the, <laughs> the attribution on the defensive line and, and all the changes – you know, you may be worse than you were last year. So what you don't want to see is you don't want to see the offense flounder early and then the opponent's up 10 nothing, and then you can't stop the run. So they're just going to turn around and feed the backs and not take any chances and make Minshew beat you. And then now you're Minshew and you've got to throw it 35, 37, 40 times a game. That's just not going to work. Um, and that's nothing against Minshew. It's just most – 90% of the quarterbacks in this league, if you force them to throw it 40 times a game, they're going to get beat most of the time. Um, you know, he's not Tom Brady. You know, he's not Pat Mahomes. You know, you, 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 he needs that run game to, to really kind of balance everything out. And if they're behind and they're having to throw all the time, I think we'll see a lot of stuff like last year, and that's, that's not good. So they've got um, to be able to keep the offense on schedule for him to really have success. And they've got playmakers. They've got playmakers at, at receiver with Chark and Conley, and I think Westbrook's going to have a big year. And the Chenault addition is something that, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to work, but, man, he seems to be catching every ball thrown his way. He's running out there some reps with the ones. He's a big, thick kid. If you, if you stand him next to Leonard, okay, and you took the names mm-hmm. off the back of their jersey and Chenault didn't have his dreadlocks, you couldn't tell which one was which. They are both built the same and big, thick guys, thick thighs. I mean, he looks like a running back out there. So 
they've got playmakers and they've got a chance to kind of really make some big plays downfield. So if they can do that and keep the offense on schedule, then they've got a chance. I mean, and like you mentioned, they can dunk and get they, get where they need to. If we can get to the opposing side of the, you know, the 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 opposing or excuse me, the opposing side of the field, and uh, you know, sixty yards out, Lambo's still good from sixty in camp. <laughs> Look good. He's looked good, man. I, I mean, I think he had one uh, one uh, thing they had uh, one two three four. I think it was five for five, and wow. the last wow. one was over fifty. So. I mean, he's one of the best kickers in the league. To be honest, it's funny because, okay, Calais was a fantastic free agent signing, no doubt. Um, you know, A.J. Boye was a fantastic free agent signing, no doubt. But Josh Lambeau may end up going down as Dave Caldwell's greatest free agent signing. Uh, <laughs> and his, I mean, the, the guy's the best kicker in the league. I mean, it was it – was, uh, it was – a robbery that he wasn't in the Pro Bowl last year. Just an absolute robbery. He's he was money and he's been money since he's been here. And you sit there and you go, How could the Chargers not see this coming? I mean, were they not paying attention? I mean, he's been automatic since he's been here. Yeah. Hey Mike, just to kind of shift gears a little bit and we'll start wrapping up here for you. Uh, I know it's probably getting a little late. Uh one of the biggest interests of mine is the sort of business side of the sport and I'm not sure how tapped into you are uh, into that side of it versus the actual football piece, but uh, Shad Khan's, you know, shipyards and Lot J development deal with the city expired. And, you know, we've got a demolished bridge downtown now for evidently no reason at the current moment uh, that did have some utility, I thought. But um, is this a, would you say this is a sort of a sign that maybe Shad Khan is scaling back his interest in investing in the city or um, is there a strategic shift there? Are you hearing anything on that part of the, the team? No, I mean, the COVID threw a monkey wrench into the whole thing. Um, that He still is very, very, very interested in the Lache project, very, very committed to the shipyards project. Um, and, and they were hopeful the, the one thing, I don't know how long you guys have lived in Jacksonville. I'm assuming you guys have been here for a long, long time. Forever. You know, yeah, you kind of know things take maybe 20% longer than they really should here. The city government is not exactly the most um, – it's not the quickest um, turnaround with in terms of city government stuff. And, and Jacksonville is sort of uh, – and I love this city, but we are sort of being – we, we kick and scream. We don't want to be dragged into the future. We kind of like the way things are. So, um, you know, it, there's a little bit of resistance to change. So I think he was battling a little bit of that, but he's still committed to both of those projects. And, you know, the pandemic just absolutely drove it to a halt. Um, yeah. Now you yeah. hope things that, that they can actually start construction on the Lot J project. They had hoped to do it by this spring. Um, so now with the pandemic, the hope is, you know, if we can get started by next spring, next summer, then things will still be on track. But um, yeah, he had to, I guess he had to submit a scaled down version of the shipyards project yeah. uh, the other yeah. day, but yeah. um, you know, he's still very, very much interested in doing that. I mean, he's still committed here. He's invested a lot of money and a lot of time here um, into the stadium, into the area around the stadiums. He's not just going to let that go. Sure. 
Uh, last thing, and we always sort of wrap it up this way, is uh, we have with every time you've been on the podcast is your favorite topic, a season prediction. Um, when we talked to Aaron uh, with Football Outsiders, uh, his quote was that, you know, we're going to be one of the run-of-the-mill bad teams and not the worst team in the league with a uh, 33% chance of uh, playoff contention. So do you take that more pessimistic view of our outlook at this point, or are you a little bit more optimistic? Um <laughs> I do think they've got they've got some talent um, on offense, um, and they do have Josh Allen. And if they get Ngakwe back here, um, and we didn't even mention Chason, who is like a physical marvel, um, you know, we don't know what they're going to get out of him. But they've got some pieces. I will say they've got some pieces. And the thing you don't know is how is COVID going to affect this season? You know, or, or, if, when they play the Texans – is JJ or Watt going to be out with COVID? You know what I mean? Is Deshaun Watson going to be able to play? You just don't know all that. But the Jags do have enough pieces where I think they will be competitive if they can do a better job of stopping the run. Um, that being said, you look at the schedule they're playing, and it's a brutal schedule. I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. It's Matt Stafford. It's um, Lamar Jackson. I mean, the list of quarterbacks that they've got to play um, is just ridiculous. And you add in now Phillip Rivers is in Indy, Derek, Derek Henry, the Derek Henry factor. Um, it's just a really, really tough and brutal schedule for these guys. So I think I agree with him in terms of I think that they'll be similar to what they were last year record-wise, which if there's ever a season that you wanted to go 0-16 or 1-15, it would be this one. And in terms Great. of the long-term franchise future of the franchise on the field, you can make a really compelling argument that they should be tanking for Trevor. Absolutely. But I don't think that, I don't think that they're going to be that bad. No, I don't think that they will be a one and 15, two and 14 team. I think they will be in that six and I predicted them when the schedule came out before, I think four and 12, but I think they're going to be in a six, seven win team. And then again, you get there. You never know something you, you catch a break here and there. And then all of a sudden you're home to eight wins and eight and eight win, eight wins, eight and eight seasons. And you can get in the playoff this year. Cause there's that extra playoff team. So I think that they will be in that six to eight win range. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll uh, be sure to throw a link in the podcast description with a link to Mike's work. And uh, you know, obviously if you're on Twitter, I'm sure you already follow, but be sure to follow Mike on Twitter at ESPN Duraco, And we'll put that in there as well. Uh, Mike, thanks again for uh, coming on, and uh, we'll have to hopefully do it again uh, next training camp if you're okay with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. We appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could throw some comments in there, those are always fun to watch as, or to read as well. And otherwise, we uh, appreciate you guys listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.